Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? I'm Ali. Um, I'm originally from Clondalkin, but I'm living in town now. Tell me, how old are you? Uh, 24 today. 24. I can't believe that, you know, that I really can't believe that, that you came in here today, the day of your birthday. I sure what else would I be doing? It's a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me this, Ali, um, when what happened was you put out a video and it got sent to me. And so it happens a lot, like, and someone said to me, you need to sit down with this girl, you need to hear her story. So do you tell me what the video was that you posted and why? Um, the video I posted was a suicide awareness post. It was the year anniversary on the 4th of February. Um, so the 4th of February 2021, I attempted suicide. Um, and then I knew, like, I've been very vocal about it. Uh, I write a blog and stuff like that, and then I've I've quite been quite vocal about it for a while. Um, but me and my partner have been talking a bit about different things of um, building traction on Instagram, and he was saying like make reels and TikToks and stuff like that. Like that's where you get most of your engagement and all. Um, and then when it was coming up to the date, I was like, oh, well, I'll just I'll throw a few things together and. Um, I was sitting in the house on my own, like, and I was going to just post like the videos and the pictures with a song over it and writing, and then I was saying it was like something just came into my head to like voice over, and I think that added a little more, a little bit more depth to it. Um, yeah, so I just posted it, and then I couldn't believe the interaction it got. Like, I posted it on TikTok as well, and uh, I forgot about it because I don't have my notifications turned on in it, on mm-hmm. TikTok for obvious reasons because. It's so addictive. Mm. Um, I think I went back on like a day or two later and it was on like 16k views. I was just like, wow, I couldn't even... I know it's not a lot to, to a lot of people out there who are big on Instagram, but that, to me it was just like overwhelming. Um, but I think it done what I wanted it to do. Like a, a lot of people reached out to me and thanked me for sharing it or shared their own story with me then and um, wished me well. And like a couple of people of that I knew from years ago, like, reached out as well, which was nice, like, uh, girls that I went to school with and that, and, um, yeah, I think it just it kind of kick-started a conversation. And what took you to that suicide attempt, and was, tell me your story. Yeah, so, um, 
Where do I even start? I've suffered with mental health issues for as long as I can remember. I I remember the, a time when I was I was self harming. I started self harming when I was about fourteen. I was in Forshire, and one of my teachers seen it on my arm, um, and obviously reported it. And my skill was brilliant; like um, they handled it really well. But reported it to my parents, and uh, I got in with Pieta House. But before I went to Pieta, my ma brought me to my GP, and it's just it's one of those memories that stuck with me my whole life because I. The doctor was asking me, like, when did you start self-harming, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, maybe when I was, like, 12. And my mom was like, no, that's not right. I was like, what do you mean it's not right? And she was like, you used... She was talking about when I was, like, six, seven, eight, I used to bite myself. So I was, like, taking my anger out on myself, even when I was that small. Like, um, obviously, that didn't impact me as much when it was said. But when I think back now as an adult to that conversation I had in the doctor's office, it's like, I can't believe I was so young and in so much pain. Like, it's bizarre to me kids are supposed to just be happy. And I came from a very good home. Like, me mum and me dad, um, neither of them drink. Um, it's always been a very loving, warm home. Uh, it talk about your feelings home. Like, it wasn't one of those where, like, oh, you should up and get on with it, like, I was always a vocal child, I was a tantrum child, like, I cried and I I spoke out loud about how I felt and my ma would have always been there for me, like, um, but the, I suppose the trauma for me would have been, I come from, like, my, dyna- my dynamic at home would be me, my brother, my mother and father, and then I have other siblings. Okay. So my dad had five from a marriage and then two more girls um, before he met my Malik. Um, and I grew up with the five from the marriage. Um, I always remember them in my life. They were a huge part of my life. Like, huge age difference, though. Like, my eldest sister is 54, I think, or 55. Um, and then when I was a about six or seven, I think. Must have been, yeah, that actually makes sense. I figure things out as I'm talking about them as well. <laughs> about six or seven, the two other girls uh, came back into my dad's life. So uh, they were a huge part of my life then up until recently as well. Um, were they young? At the time when you were six, how old were they? One of them was 14, I think, and then the other... God, how long is between? I think she was maybe 18, 19, um, okay. something like that. Um, yeah, so there would we would have I would have grown up with them, and then as I got old, we when I again when I was about fourteen, uh, there was a big family fallout. Like, so the first five. Uh, loads of shit happened in their own lives, and as families do, they kind of got taken out on us um, and there was a divide then didn't talk to them so that was kind of my forced real um, what's the word my forced interaction or uh, exposure my forced exposure to abandonment because uh, my eldest sister and her husband at the time they would have been like almost parent figures uh, they couldn't have kids themselves so they kind of took me on 
I had my own room in their house and all. Like, I had a little Barbie room. Uh, so I was very, very close to them. So I think when their marriage broke up and he left, um, and then there was the fallout with my sister, that it felt like I lost parents, if that makes sense. But I don't think I kind of dealt with that or talked about it at the time because I felt the loyalty to me. Like, me and I are great, and they've always been in my life. They've never been absent. But it, it did feel like I was at the losing a dad or I was at the losing a mother. Like, um, So I couldn't really talk about it with my own mother and father because, I don't know, I just was always trying to protect them. I didn't want to hurt them or be disloyal to them. Um, and then that was grand. I started growing up and getting to the age where you don't even want to be with your family anyways. Like, you're a teenager, yeah. The last thing you'd want is to be around your family. Like, um, started drinking very young. I think I was 13 as well, started drinking. No, it was 14. 14 when I started drinking. And then I experienced a sexual assault when I was 14. It was my first encounter with sex. And uh, I actually only said it out loud for the first time when I was 22, after my suicide attempt. I was back in counting, obviously, and I was having, I was doing really good work with her. And we were talking about my relationship to sex. Um, and I just realised for the first time, I was like, it actually was a sexual assault. Like, I was only 14 and I was drunk to the, to the point of near unconsciousness, like a complete blackout, don't remember a thing. The only, no, the only reason I know that it happened is because it was told to me when I went back into school, like, and uh, it got back at that time from an older girl in school to my brother. And my brother told my mother. And my ma done what I suppose most mothers would do in fear is she tried to protect me as best as she could and she wanted to press charges um, for statutory rape. But as I was saying to you before we started recording, I was always kind of uh, older than I was like, and I was very savvy. And I knew what that would have meant. Uh, I knew he would have had a charge for the rest of his life. like. And I don't know, maybe a, a part of me felt guilty, a part of me was trying to protect him. I didn't know anything about consent at the time. I was only a child. like. Um, so I kept refusing. I was being brought in and out of guard stations to make a statement and I refused. I wouldn't make a statement. And then I was taught, I remember being in Clondalk and guard station after I think a couple of months of this going back and forth and... They kind of just gave up on me then and said, listen, your case will be able to be reopened right up until you're 18. You can come back at any time and make a statement. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But I remember having, I remember distinctly sitting with my ma before that and begging her to leave it alone, like just let it drop. And she was like, I don't want this to come back and haunt you. Like, So I, I remember I had to write a letter to her to say, like, I promise you that this is the, what I want to do and I don't want to press charges and blah, blah, blah. And I signed it and all, and I'd say she probably still has it. Like, uh, Were you trying to protect him? I think a part of me was. Um, yeah, I think a part of me was trying to protect him. Um, I still I still struggle now to even... I was at a women's circle last week and I was even I was talking about it. Like, and I still don't have anger or hate towards him um, because I think it's a systems problem rather than an individual's. Like, I think... He was very young as well. He was also drinking. 
we know very little about consent or the workings of it. And I think that actually is the reality. And I'm hoping things are going to start changing for younger girls now that they know that just because you're, you're not in your right mind to say no verbally or just because you're not dragged down an alleyway or it's not gruesome or you're left with scarring or you're battered and bruised, it doesn't mean that it was a safe encounter. Like, um, But definitely at that time, yeah, I hadn't a clue about consent. Um I just thought that's what happened, like, that that was normal. Well, again, it was my first time, like, so. Um, and you blacked out and you were only aware of this happening to you because someone else told you. Yeah, that was, it was me forcing, forcing, this is the, the thing I find the most kind of, I nearly laugh at it now. It's just how cruel we all are when we're younger in the sense of, like, straight off the bat I would have been called a slut. Um, and I think I have this thing about labels that like when you start getting labels you kind of nearly almost live up to them um, so I was being labelled a slut for so long that I ended up just thinking like I thought I thought that was like how sex worked and like how relationships worked and like I, I thought that that's all I ever had to offer anyone because it was although it was giving me negative attention it was still giving me attention, like, I was always really kind of, like, a nobody, nobody knew who I was, or nobody talked about me, or talked to me, or, so when that happened, it was kind of like, right, this is now, this is attention, obviously, with the the fallout of the family, I was, I was missing so much, mm. Um life was gone so quiet, I was, my mind was very warped, like, when I was a kid, Um and then, yeah, I just, I th- and I think as well, when I think back, my introduction to sex was probably before that as well. Not physically, but I remember like my first encounter watching porn. I was probably only 11 or something. An older uh, family member showed me. Uh, a niece of mine showed me. Like, and uh, like so violent. So violent, so graphic. Um, and again, just normalise it to an extent, like just to say, that's what happened. Uh, that's the way it was. Did she think, because this is scaring to live in life at mm. me now with an 11 year old and mm. a 7 year old, did she think she was educating you or what was her thought process behind that? Do you think? I think it was naivety as well. Like, uh, she probably would have only been about 13, 14 right. at the time as well. Yeah, curiosity, I think, was a lot of it. Um, I don't think she knew what she was doing or the harm that she was at the causing. Um, but, yeah, I think it set up, like, a, an expectation of me when it came to relationships with men that, like, I had to perform the way these porn stars do or else, like, I'm not doing it right. Or, like, they're not going to want to be with me. They're not going to want to have sex with me. Like, so I, I have to endure all this even though, like, none of that is enjoyable. Um, How scary is that for mothers of boys mm. and boys thinking that's how they should behave? Mm. And sure. But that's all we hear, though, isn't it? How boys should behave in sex, yeah. but actually what you've just said there, yeah. There was a, there's actually, I watched the first episode of, of Euphoria 
not last night, the night before, and there was a scene in it where he went to have sex with a girl and he automatically grabbed her by the neck like and pushed her down. And it was a beautiful like uh, explanation of how consent should be because she lost it with him. Like, she was like, what are you doing? And she was like, why would I like that? Like, Obviously so warped by lads and by watching porn that he thinks like, like that's this is this is the thing that I this is the way I think now as well that it's I'm not a man hater and I don't think that men are the complete issue. I think we're both both sexes have been affected by so much misogyny in the world like that. Men are watching porn as well and thinking like this is how I have to perform. Girls like this like, um, and then girls are thinking I have to do this as well because and endure endure all this and like chains and whips and all this facade like because that's what blokes get off on like whereas when you actually sit and have a conversation with someone who cares about you they don't want to do that to you like um so yeah I think there was a, a lot of dilution when I was growing up around sex I developed a really really bad relationship with sex straight off the bat then um slept around a lot um, very little respect for myself like thought that that was it that's just what you do I kind of part of me thought everyone was doing it they just weren't vocal about it um, and I kind of I was the opposite then I was like I don't care I'll say it like that's one thing I always like I never hid anything uh, when it came to sex and that and I was like I don't understand why girls can't just say they're having sex but a lot of them weren't mm. <laughs> but I just believed that they were like um and then, so I was just growing up with just so much shame around my actions, but it was like I just couldn't stop. Like, it was constantly looking for intimacy to fill this void that I had. Um, same thing happened with drink then. I developed a really bad relationship with drink. Uh, and then because I came from a home where there was no drink, like both my mother and father were sober, I think there was a lot of guilt straight off the bat with that as well. That it was like, no, I need to, like, I want to drink, but I shouldn't drink. Even though they never pushed that narrative on me. Like, my ma used to always say that, like, I love seeing you getting dressed up and going out and having a good night. Like, I just want you to be careful and know your limits. Uh, but I was just like, I think I developed this fear of coming home drunk in case aunt was sad. So then that kick-started the not coming home. I just stopped going home then. Like, I was going out drinking, and I'd, I'd be out till 6, 7 in the morning. And I wasn't even doing drugs at this age. Another family member of mine had uh, an addiction with cocaine, and it was very hard on the family. Like So that kind of turned me off drugs. I was anti-drug for a long time. Like, um, oh, Where would you be? Where would you go? And at what age were you? That you were out drinking? Uh, from about 14, I started drinking properly out all the time. Maybe 16, 17. Like 14, it was here and there because I was always getting caught. I mean, I was always grounding me. Like, um, I think back now and I felt so sorry for her because I'd say that was terrifying as a mother. Uh, but yeah, then I would have started going out properly 16, 17. Getting into pubs and going back to houses and drinking in people's kitchens and some people have parents who are all right with it like and let you sit in the gaff or their parents are away or whatever. 
so uh, there was a lot of that then then um what the losing me trying to talk um okay. yeah the with coke I, like i've fell out with some of my girlfriends over like when they all start i think it was about eight and nineteen that all start coming into my group and the girls would be down it and like I've had, like, proper run-ins with them where it's, like, I'm not being around us anymore. Like, is they're destroying us ourselves. I don't want to see us down it, blah, blah. And then it kind of loosened and it was, like, right, I can't control us. You have to do his own thing, but don't do it in front of me. And then that loosened again and it was, like, I don't care. I just don't do it. Don't offer it to me. And then <clears throat> the other two sisters that come into our lives, we had a fallout with them a couple of years ago as well. And uh, I think that kind of kick-started another little trauma cycling me like bringing up old rounds of when the first part of the family fell out and uh was sitting in my mate's bedroom one of the nights we were just having a few gargles and uh they were at the getting a bag of white and i was like i'm gonna just try it they're like what and it was every single one of them were just stood there looking at me like what you mean you're trying and i was like i just want to try it like and they were like ali now like trying to talk me out of it for ages because i went so long i was 22 when i when no yeah, it was 22 when I done coke for the first time. And Why didn't they stop you? I know. Why they didn't couldn't. they stop you? They couldn't. It's my responsibility, like, uh, there would have been a bigger, the person I am would have been a way bigger argument to stop me, like. Um, and I actually think it's a blessing in disguise. I'm grateful for my time doing coke, like. But, like that, I tried it. And I was always one of these people that could never understand people that, like, why can't you just have a drink without doing coke? Mm. Like, why do you always have to do coke every time you drink? When you start doing coke, you kind of realise that a little bit more then. Mm. So I started doing coke, and it was in the summer of 2020. And uh, <clears throat> that lasted right up until Christmas and just got progressively worse. As the months went on, like just Friday, Saturday, oh, this was all during the COVID, and all, like in hotels, just like I don't know where I was getting the money from, booking hotels every weekend, staying in hotels, fucking up all night, opening like sorry, Labbrooks, I don't work there anymore, but I was opening the shop at nine o'clock in the morning, still out ahead, like, um, not a prior time in my life, but. I am very grateful for it because I think I got to rock bottom with it. Um, although it's very common for people to be doing coke, I don't think it's the, there's still a lot more kind of stigma around doing it than there would be a drink. Like you can see someone drinking at 12 o'clock in the day and you think nothing of it. You can't just walk around mm. out of your head on, on coke. Like, uh, So th- I did carry a lot of shame with that and I was petrified of my ma finding out and the family because I didn't want to hurt them. Because I knew that would kill them, like, uh, so I got to like December, and I was like, oh, I can't deal with myself anymore. Who's in your life? Who's in, who's in your circle? Who's doing these behaviours with you? Oh, everyone. I don't. I've since getting sober, I've kind of lost a lot of my group. But like at that time, everyone I knew was down. Like everyone's drinking, everyone's down coke. We're all out, same heads all the time. And then other weeks, you could be with. A, I was a bit of a jumper, like, I'd, like, everybody's me, just once there was a party, like, so I'd go from one set of friends to another set to another set, you'd always find someone to do it with you, to drink or do drugs, like, it's a, it's rampant 
in my generation like and uh, it it makes me very uncomfortable because especially when you when you get sober because you just see what's happening to people like they're completely asleep they're not living they're just existing like and that's what I was doing I was just drinking down drugs trying to get any sort of hit I could like using sex as a way of feeling as well like I was so numb like couldn't I couldn't feel I wasn't even sad anymore like I was just numb and uh, then obviously with my mental health record as is doing coke is not good for you like I was getting really like the the highs get lower and the come downs get higher like like the intensity of come downs was really really affecting me so I got to like December and I stopped I was like, fuck this, I can't do this anymore. I don't know if I'm allowed to course on this podcast. Yeah. Will you explain the come down? I, I'd be very yeah. honest, I have never, I probably touched, what's, what's, I'm like, what's the word? Isn't that terrible? That's like how much I am, but I think I did um, hash. I would have mm. not sm- even smoked it. I would have had a hash week, like many yeah. years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't understand what the come down, like, so what, like, just for... Because I'm, I've said because I'm a mother as well, it's just for others to watch. Because mm. I get an awful lot of mammies who listen to this, or and a lot of your, girls your age listen to this. So just what is that like? That come down? Soul is wrong. Um, just, it's physical as well as mental, like for me, anyways. Like your nose is blocked, you can't breathe properly, there's a lump in the back of your throat. You're just lying there, <coughs> you're just lying there, like. I even want them to move, like, and then it's such a low mood, you're irritable, you're angry, you're full of shame, full of guilt, and the fear, the fear, I know, like, people get bare fear, like, fear after they own coke is horrendous, it's like every conversation you've ever had just keeps going on and on and on and on in your head, saying, why did I say that, why did I do this, why because when you're on the coke, like, you can't stop talking, and I'm a waffler as it is, like, so that was my one telltale, that I was on it because you just couldn't get away from me, like, um, so yeah, I'd be one of those that I'd be just reliving the whole night saying, why did I do that, why did I say that, and then, um, yeah, just, I started getting a lot of suicidiology from it as well, in the sense of, it was like, what am I even doing with my life, like, I'm not in college, I'm not doing this, like, what am I even doing, just nitpicking at every little thing, like, and it was always like, I had this huge thing in my head that I was a slut, like, and that I wasn't worthy of anything. Like, I felt so low for the amount of pain I put me, like, me, me body through and the amount of people that I would have involved myself with, a lot of people who were very undeserving of me. Um, so when I was, I gave it up into December and I tried to do the whole dry January and, uh, I lasted until about the 28th, I think it was the 28th or the 29th or something, and I had just, like, a mental breakdown that I was like, fuck this. Went straight out, rang one of the boys, was like, what are you doing? Uh, he was drinking, and I was like, right, mommy, way. He was living in an apartment at the time. Went up there, and this type of, th- this type of session would have been, like, the table would just have a concoction of things. Like, it was one of them, like, everything was a free-for-all. Like, the, you just bring your drink or whatever, and everything is just in front of you. And I think one of the one of my mates said to me, uh, I'd only ever done coke, like, um, and one of my mates was, this was, it all only came out after the suicide attempt, because this was, I drank this night, 
complete blackout. And then a day and a half later, I was in hospital with a drip in my arm. Couldn't understand. I was like, what the fuck is that to happen? It was all just like, a, just merged. That was two and a half days, day and a half, whatever it was, just all merged into one. Like, um, But after I came out and I was kind of back to myself a little bit more, I was chatting to one of the boys who was at the party and he was saying, Ali, like, I don't think it was coke you were on. I think you might have done K or something like this. That He was like, because when I got there, you were gone. Like, so far gone. I've never seen you like that. Uh which is probably probably what happened. Like, I must actually ask if Tala Hospital has me drug me drug works. Like, but uh, I remember it being the worst hang, the worst come down ever. There's lit. There's a lot I don't remember about it, but I remember I didn't get home until the next day, and I slept from the minute I got home. I think I got home at about twelve, and I slept. This was on a Sunday. And I slept the whole day, right up until I think I woke late on the Sunday, went to the toilet and then got back into bed. And then I woke up on the Monday and I remember, I can't remember whether it was my ma or my brother, someone came into my room giving me shit like, what the fuck are you doing with yourself? Like, seriously, what are you doing with yourself? And then I just remember waking up. Like nailed over, vomiting, pleading with my ma to get me an ambulance, and uh, I was puking the lining of my stomach up, like uh, from the medication I was at the taking. And uh, my ma was like, "It's not your lining." She when was, did you take this medication? I took this on the Monday afternoon. Um, I don't actually remember. I don't remember even doing it. I just remember waking up. Okay. Um. I obviously must have taken it and then went went back to sleep. But took it for what reason? At the time, I was saying that uh, when I got out of hospital, I kept saying to my friends, like, I just wanted to go back to sleep. I don't know, I just wanted to go back to sleep. But I didn't, like, I didn't want to, I wanted to go, go to sleep and never wake up. Like, I just thought, I felt I was a boredom, like, um, yeah, I felt like I was insignificant and that I was actually causing more harm to the world than, than anything, like, um, I was thinking about my ma and my brother and my dad and how much shame that I was bringing to them and just hated myself, hated everything, saw, saw no, no way out, like, it was like, you can't even do a month, and you can't even do a month of uh, sobriety, like, just, my eternal dialogue was fucked, like, it was just running myself into the ground, like, um, yeah, I just, I didn't want to be here, like, um, but I woke up then, and I woke up after it was, just kept getting progressively worse, I, I had what they called a slow overdose, so what happens is, like, it is literally that, it's slow, it's, it progressively gets worse and worse, so when I was getting sick, my mum was like, it's not the line in your stomach, she was obviously freaking out herself, like, um, she was like it's the counting off whatever you took and I was like it's not the counting man. that's blood like um, eventually they were waiting I think we were waiting about two and a half hours for an ambulance um, and my brother came home my brother left to go to his girlfriend's and came back and I was still there and he just lost he was like get in the car so he drove me over 
they were just was drawing COVID as well, so no one could stay with me. Like my ma brought me in to A and A, and I think I was only sitting there for a, few, a couple of minutes before I was brought in, and then I just remember getting into triage, and that's it. Don't remember anything else. She, I remember her asking me a couple of questions, and I was just like, I don't know what what you want me to tell you, like. Like, just ask me stupid questions. But obviously, that's routine. They have to ask you, like, but... I blanked then after that. And uh, I don't remember being brought from triage to the bed or anything. Uh, I woke up a couple of hours later then with a drip in my arm. And... Just, like, I was just in the ER ward with the curtain pulled. And I was just like, what the fuck am I at to do? And I felt worse then. Like, I didn't have that sense of gratitude straight off the bat. It wasn't like that. It wasn't one of those things that was like, oh, I like, I remember when when I was when I was sick, before I went in, when I was getting sick, I was saying to myself, oh, God, please, God, help me. I don't want to die, like. But then, after I, I passed out and all, and I got into the, the hospital, I remember I woke up then again, and I didn't have that. That was gone again. I had lost that kind of hope. I was back in... I'm really at the fucking up, I'm at the fucking up, like, I'm never going to be able to go home, I'm at the destroying them, like, how could I do this to them, and, again, I just wanted to go again, like, I was like, I, like, why didn't I walk, I wish I had a walk, like, and I was, again, just plotting about, like, I'll get stronger and I'll get out and I'll do it again, like, um, but that passed, thankfully, I think everything worked out as it should have, um, because I... Yeah, it was COVID, so no one was allowed into me. Um, the next day, I spent one full day in A&E, and then the next day I was brought up to a ward. Um, I wasn't put in a psych ward. I was put in a general ward. I think it might have been because I was so young. Um, yeah, so I was, wasn't was allowed any visitors. Um, and... I, I hold on to gratitude with that because I think it was meant to be that way that like I needed that eight days on my own in complete solitude like away from everyone and I think I would have suffered a lot more if, I, if my ma had a saying how sick I was because I was I was really really sick like um, I was really at the damage in my liver I was close to organ failure like I think I was borderline when it came to my kidneys like with the liver you're, you're, you're good like 90% of the time your liver will recuperate itself like and it gets back to full strength but if I had have like if I had a spread onto my kidneys or anything like I could have been in a hell of a lot worse of a condition than I am now like so I am really grateful for that um, So does the doctor come into you and what when you wake up with a drip in your arm and what does the doctor say to you? I can't, I, to be honest with you I can't actually remember um, I remember I was still, I was still quite out of it from everything I took, like, mm. um. So I was kind of like woozy, and I know there was. I remember meeting someone near the end of my stay, and he had said that he was in on the fourth day, and I was like, I don't remember you at all. I'm very sorry, like, and he was like, Don't worry, you were, you weren't in good headspace, like. But there was like, there was nurses coming in and out. There was doctors coming in and out. I had like. Three three teams. One was psych, one was gastro. And I can't actually I can't remember. I think the other one was just general. But 
the gastro I would have seen a lot of because I was at the down so much to my liver. He had to keep close eye on me, so I was getting blood tests about six times a day, connected to this drip for the whole time. I think I'd done six, six bags of saline solution or something, and then two bags of something else, whatever it was, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, just constant drip here, drip in the bottom of my bottom of here, drip in here. Kept having to move it because it was in for so long. Um, blood tests. There was a time as well where I had to get a CT scan um, because I had such... I don't know whether it was like toxins leaving my body or what the fuck caused it, but I had really, really bad pains in my head. So I never experienced pain like this before. Um, I was nailed over, couldn't speak, couldn't lift my head. <clears throat> I remember one of the other patients was like, uh, um, sorry, nurse, that, that girl's in a lot of distress. Uh, and my nurse was a lovely woman. This was the overnight nurse. She brought me straight down for a CT scan. That came back fine. Uh, they maintain it was stress induced migraine or something, but uh, yeah, it was insane. Um, I was very vulnerable the whole time I was there, very lonely. Uh, it was w- the worst experience of my life by far. Like, but a lot of things started coming to me while I was there. Like, there was two ladies brought in at different times on my ward with two different forms of dementia. One was quite aggressive, and another woman was very just kind of disorientated, like one saying that she wanted to walk to James's Street where she was from and all, and she was, didn't realize she was in Tala Hospital. It was devastating, and I think that's what was the fourth kind of kick in my ass. I was like, they have no control over their mind. You do. You do. You put yourself here. They didn't. They didn't put themselves in this hospital ward. Only they got a disease that they can't help. But you have control. You can get yourself help. You have before. You know what you need to do. You've always known what you need to do. I knew I should have never been a drinker. Like I knew it was detrimental to me. And then when I started doing the coke, it, it, made, it kind of highlighted that it wasn't just cocaine that was my problem. Like I was a bad drinker like, and I should have never drank. Um, the thing is with them now that like I had to give the drink up because... They're in a relationship with each other. So I know if I drink, I'll want to do coke. So I chose to do neither of them when I got out. Um, but yeah, those two women, I think, really kind of spoke to me. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're only 22. Um, about f- three or four days later, my ma came down to me. But again, wasn't allowed in. So I met her in the, I met her in the smoking area. And I just remember the look on her face, like, she was just distraught, devastated, like, um, and I swore then after, after seeing her face, I was like, I can't do this to, to my family again, like, I need to get help. Um, there was a lovely woman that was the head psychiatrist in there that was chatting to me, so she was kind of putting a, a plan in place of what what you want to do what have you done before I've been in and out of all sorts since I'm a kid like I've done psychiatrist I've done Pieta I've done private counselling I've done family uh, child and family centres my ma put me forward when I was about 17, 18 for an aware course on CBT therapy done six weeks with that um, so 
I kind of just before I attempted to take my life, I was kind of in that space of like I've done fucking everything. Like I've been on medication, doesn't work, makes you worse. So it's kind of like oh, there's nothing that's gonna help me. Like so I done that, and then when I came out, I flipped that again. I was like, stop making excuses. There has to be a way out of this. Like I knew I wanted to live. Like after that, after fighting and getting stronger and and getting physically stronger, that was like yeah, there has to be more to life than this. Like um. And I think when, when you have an experience like that, you kind of, everything else doesn't matter. It's like, I'm nearly at the losing my life for what? Because people call you a slut. Or like people think you're a tick because you didn't go to college or that you're not going to achieve that. And because of all this shit, like everything else just kind of became nice. I was like, just stop. Stop talking to these people. Like, what value do they bring into your life? Nothing. Um, did you keep those people around you? A lot of them I did for a long time, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would have struggled. I still do. I struggle a lot with the feminine. I think it's to do with the sister wound and stuff like not having good relationships with sisters and stuff like that. And then being in an all-girl school, you just assume all girls are bitches, like, and that that's the way it is, and that all girls are ever going to do is talk about you, but if you're not friends with them, like, you'll be lonely, you'll have nobody. Like, you're never going to have a mate that doesn't talk about you. Deluded I was, like. Um, it's the opposite, you shouldn't have anyone around you that, that speaks down of you like that. Uh, now, I have a couple of girlfriends that I am still in contact with and have been very good to me, but uh, for the most part, I just stopped talking. When I got sober, I stopped talking to nearly everybody. Like I, I tried in the beginning to keep in contact, but they were still drinking and they were still doing coke. And it was like one thing my man he was always say to me is, uh, "Would you go to the barber shop and not get your hair cut?" It's yeah, it's as someone else said, if you sit in a barber chair long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, mm. and it's like stop going to pubs and stop sitting in these kitchens and putting yourself in a position like you don't have to stand there and prove yourself like, like oh I can go and I can not drink. I am strong enough. I'm not fucking strong enough. The amount of times that I've went and said, and all I wanted was a drink, because believe me, when you're sober, my partner said it the other night, we were at a party, and it was like, we left, and it was like, when it gets to like 11 o'clock, there's actually no business for a sober person to be there. Because you just, your tolerance for it gets very low, and it's just the amount of bullshit that comes with it. And uh, I noticed when I got sober as well, a lot of my friends... Felt it would felt a little bit of inferiority, um. It's 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 very no a lot. I I still experience that. Like, what do you mean you don't drink? And they kind of get edgy, like uneasy around you. Uh, I remember one of the, I think it was one of the boys off talking bollocks was talking about it a while ago, saying that like the reason he drinks a bottle of Heineken is because like after a while like the lads don't realise it's non-alcoholic, and I started doing that myself then, and it does work. It does kind of like ease people into it. You're sitting there drinking like a, a bleeding can of coke. You're getting looks up and down. Like I think it's because they know you're you're wild and you're observing, and they get a bit paranoid about it. Uh, but the only time I've now I've I've got that is from people that would have a problem themselves. They're in denial. Like um, probably a bit controversial to say that, <laughs> but that's the reality of it. Like anyone who's comfortable in their drinking, who doesn't have an issue with it. Who drinks like every now and again, and has a good relationship with it has no fucking issue with me not drinking, because it doesn't affect them. 
uh, it doesn't make them highlight their own shit like but uh, yeah so take it back to the hospital when you, you get out mm. of the hospital then um, and the plan that was put in place for you yeah so I I made a decision to go back I had to link in with a psychiatrist in Orchard Road in Clondalkin so I had to see her every week that was kind of mandatory um, they were trying to get me in with Dominic's uh, clinic in Talley. Um That was something I was thinking about. But uh, what's that? Tell me. It's a, a daytime rehab center, as far as I know. Um, so you go in and you kind of do Monday to Friday and it's kind of workshops and blah blah. blah. It's trying to keep you off substances, but they work predominantly on. Um, like they don't, they don't like care how much you how much you do, or it's like if you fail, you've they they're relationship based. So like if they if they fail, you have a bad relationship with a substance, they'll take you on board. It's not like oh, you do coke every day. Okay, you can come in. Like there's no qualification for it. They just take you on. Like, um, but my brother is actually uh in addiction walk, and I was chatting to him about it, and he was saying. To be honest, Ali, I don't think that's what you need. He said, I'd give it a try yourself. Stick with your counselling, stick with the psychiatrist and try and stay sober yourself. And then if it is a case that you can't, then seek other other uh, routes. Um, and I do look up to him a lot and I trust him and his, and his advice. My ma, I think my ma wanted me to do Dominic's. Um, but I chose not to do that anyways. So... Hang on, Ali, give me a second. Can, is that all okay there? Oh, because I just dropped it for, for a second. That's okay. okay. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, I wanted to do yeah, so I, I decided not to go to Dominic, so I done the psychiatrist and I linked back in with my own therapist then. Uh, I walked with her a lot a couple of years ago and I done really, really good work with her. Um, so I decided to go back to her. Uh, so I was visiting the psychiatrist once a week and then I was um, seeing my therapist. And I think I think the reason that I did get better is because I wanted to. I wanted to get better and I wanted to do the work and I wanted to change my life. And for the first time ever, I felt like I could and that I was deserving of it. Um, so, stayed off the drink, stayed off the drugs, was attending this. Um, Did you go to NA or? No, no, didn't steps. attend any of them. Um, there is an AA background in my home, anyways, and then my brother is an addiction counsellor. So, I had, I'm one of the lucky ones. I had very, very, very good support at home. Um, no one in me house drinks anyway, so it wasn't like this big parallel that like uh, I I'm the only one that drinks and I'm a weirdo and like they're all sitting in the gaff having a few cans and I can't do that. Like it was my gaff is sober anyways, like um so I was grateful for that. And now a lot of people don't have that support, like so then yeah, I stayed off everything I now don't get me wrong, like it's it hasn't been rosy the whole year. Like it's I only put a post up there the other day after watching Euphoria where I had a trigger like she was just coming out of she was at the down a key of something in the bathroom and she walked out and like one split second I was like, I'd love to just have another bash at it. And then like me normal brain came back in and was like, No, you wouldn't. Like, why would you even say that? But the reason I, I, I talk about I was talking to my partner about it and I was like, again, I'm I wanna break that stigma of shame. Like I was crippled in shame for my whole life and it led me to a suicide attempt and I don't wanna have that anymore. Like like that's why I wanna stand, sit here and talk about openly about my sex life because that's not who I was anymore. I was in pain when all that was happening and I don't want that to control me, like um I do a lot of shadow work like and it's you can't be all love and light. Like, we all have a shadow, there's all a dark side, and if you don't embrace that, it's, it does start to creep in and control you, like, because it needs love, like, you need to love that part of yourself, that unhealed version of yourself when you were younger, and forgive yourself for all the things you've done, like, um, that's the biggest thing, I think, that helped me, was learning to forgive, forgive other people, stop blaming other people, take responsibility for my actions, and just take a, hard, a long, hard look at myself and say, right, well, I can't blame this person for that, or this person for that, or... Like, it's just, you chose to do all the things you've done. Now, own it. And only you, like, I think I had a little bit of a Cinderella complex for a while as well, where I was, like, waiting for someone else to come and fucking save me, like. And uh, I realised that that's not going to change. Like, I have to do that myself. I have to save me, like. um, So, yeah. A year later, I'm still sober. I don't fucking know how. My partner doesn't drink either, though, so I think that's um, that's a huge benefit. I don't think it would work if either of us drank. Like, um, he's been a major support system for me as well. Uh, 
take it back for me a little bit. Yeah, we um the now with the counselling, the support, and everything, mm. the mechanisms that you've put in place right now in mm. your life. What do you think now of that first encounter, and what do you think of him now? Has your opinions changed? Sex wise, yeah. Um, like, do you now understand that that was rape, and at what point did you realize that that was that? I struggle with the term rape. Do you? Yeah. Um, I think I can I can say it was sexual assault, definitely. Um, I wasn't in my right mind, like. But yeah, I think there is still there's still a lot there that it's like like a part of me is like even saying it now. I'm like, what if what if this 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 person listens to it? To this podcast and it's like what if I resurface all that for him because I know there was a time where like I think his ma was out walking all when it was all going on and like there's a lot of guilt there that I carried and like it did affect disrupt his life an awful lot like and again I don't me I don't know maybe I'm still fucked up <laughs> I, do, I don't know I just don't I don't have any hate there like um Obviously, what happened to me was horrific, and it did kickstart a very bad time for me, and a very bad relationship with sex, and very bad self-image, and a reputation that maybe I didn't deserve, like, but, uh, yeah, I just think he, he was uneducated as well. I think... I think kids still are very uneducated. Like, otherwise, it wouldn't still be happening. Um, you still hear lads on podcasts talking horrifically about women, but it's subtle that they don't realize how bad it is. Like, um, and women as well. Like, I, I hear women who make sexist comments all the time and don't even realize how much damage and how much weight is behind it. Like, um, I know women who who come on to men as well and push themselves onto men and there's just there's a lot of miscommunication and mis this like uneducation around consent um how can we change that though ali like this is terrifying like your story it, it and i want to use the word it's subtle mm. but it's terrifying yeah it's absolutely terrifying yeah. and how many other girls are out there using their bodies or using sex or not using sex think they have mm. to use sex mm. to one be popular to get girlfriends yeah and then to to maybe to, ha- to have some the only bit of control mm. they have in their lives mm. is whether they mm. decide to i think that was a big thing for me as well i was only talking about that recently where it was it was, that's the, what you said there about control. It was a control thing for me. Like, I like I was, like, a mad feminist now. Like, I still am a feminist, but I th- I'd like to think I'm a healthier feminist now. Mm. But it was really bad, like, in the sense of, like, I'm liberated and I'll do this and I'll do that. Like, and I have ownership of my body and all this bollocks. And it's like, you are part of the problem. Seriously, you are part of the problem. How are you ever going to live in a world where men and women live in harmony and respect each other when you don't respect yourself? Um. yeah it's like we can't have I seen a, a video the other day of a girl talking about her 
mindset around the sex industry and stuff like that and why she wanted to leave it. And she said, the toxic masculine will never be healed by the toxic feminine. So I noticed, me and my partner talk about this a lot, that we notice it in, in like female rap music and all now. It's like, instead of putting up a fight against men, we're joining them. And we're like, fuck men, take their money and like all this shit. And it's like, that's not helping it. But I was doing that. Like, I was like, men are trash. But, and I used them. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't using them. They were very clear as hell using me. Like, it wasn't even a mutual thing. Like, I'm, I was always the woman who loved too much. Like, my ma gave me that book when I think I was about 15. The girl who loves too much. Like, and that's, I think, with every person I've ever slept with, it's like they talk about me with them. Like, until I had to rebuild it all back up. But, um, yeah, I was, like, so cold and, like, I don't care and, like, they're all fucking idiots anyways and why would I ever want to be with someone, like, I can when I can do this and, like... But I think it was an avoidant in me as well, like, that I was afraid of... I was af- Although, like, having sex is very intimate and it should be and that's how I see it now, like... It was easier to just sleep with someone than for them to see me as a person, uh... And I was always too afraid to let people in in case they left. Because I experienced so much abandon- abandonment in my life. Like, and, uh, yeah, so I don't know what, what we can do to change it, to be honest. Like, I think education is a big thing. I was watching a webinar thing in college the other day about safety online. And there was a woman that I came across who is the... F- now, I could be wrong, and don't, I'm paraphrasing her. I think she's the first woman in Ireland to get a PhD in sex studies and, and consent. Okay. So I actually tried to link in with her on LinkedIn. I haven't found her on social media, but I'd love to talk to her like, and have a chat with her about it and see like what her understanding of it is, because I do think it's very complex. It's not black and white. Like There's a lot of grey matter when it comes to consent. Um, in what way? Tell me. In the sense of, like, like what happened with Mason Greenwood. Like, if it's your girlfriend, you're kind of entitled to it. Um, If you've had sex with them before, sure, why wouldn't you have sex with them again? Or if you lie down, like, if you lie down and you're kissing someone, um, like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, obviously, you're leading them on. And then there's also... There's also a time where your body kind of lets you down. So, like, there's been situations where you'd be in where you think you want to have sex and then it comes to it, or, like, you're you're lying with someone. Not even to have sex. Just lying with someone and, like, you start kissing or whatever and they start coming on to you and, like, it's like everything in you wants to say, no, no, I don't want to do that. But you just lie there and say nothing. Um, Again, that's down to just being damaged and just thinking like just people pleasing wanting constantly wanting to give in and what's the point in saying now like you're at that coming all the way here like obviously that's why he wanted you here he didn't want to just have your company here like and I don't think I'm the only girl that feels that way like I've I've talked to multiple women who have been assaulted or multiple women who have just been in situations like that where there is no conversation it just happens and they just allow it to happen like 
I think the world is hyper-sexualized. Sex sells everything. Everywhere you look, there's a billboard with... Like I said, there's a billboard in Kilmainham. And every time I, I say it when I'm on the bus, I'm just like, what the fuck is that? Like, It's a lifestyle sports ad, and it's just from the neck down to the waist, just a six-pack. And it's like, I can't even remember the slogan on it, but it's like, how is... Like, that's a clothing store. Mm. And he has no clothes on. Like, I don't... Under, like... And my partner would be always like, but that's that's just the, like he doesn't agree with it. But he's like, that's mm. the way it is, Ali. That that is reality. Like that sex sells. Like that's you're gonna continue to see that. Like, and it's just like it's everywhere, everywhere you look. Like there's kids twerking and all now, and you're like, and there's like no disrespect to any mother. I'm not a mother. I can't speak. I know on that part. But like recording our kids twerking or like slut like seductively dancing should I say like and it's just like where's the innocence gone like why are we not supposed to protect that I think there's a lot of rushing to grow up as well why are you getting upset when you say are we not supposed to protect that I don't know actually um, I suppose there's still the little girl in me that is hurt, like that's something that was said to me as well in counseling that I dissociate. So I can talk and talk and talk about something like I'm nearly in third person. And I show kind of no emotion and then it'll get to a point where it'll just like all hit me at once. So I think that's a little bit of a maybe. But, uh, and in your childhood then, it was the abandonment issues that you had yeah. and that's where it's all coming to a head with everything else with it. And that's where, okay. Yeah, I think... Did you not feel protected then when you were abandoned? Like I know you went, you know, you're, what, what happened? Did you not? And you said that because you wanted to protect your mum and dad. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I think. I kind of wanted to know, like, I felt like I was, that was like, why wasn't I good enough for you to stay? Sort of thing. Um. And it's only now, like, like I, I'm an adult and intellectually I know, like, my sister's marriage broke up and her partner, obviously they got divorced and he left. And But I, I kind of always wondered why he didn't stay in touch with me. And obviously I get now as an adult, it's like, he was trying to protect me, I'd say, like, he didn't want to cause any further harm to my sister. Because obviously he assumed my loyalty would be with her and um Did you love him? I adored him. Absolutely adored him. Still do, like But I think I struggled a lot with dealing with it when I was younger because as I said I kind of felt like I I didn't warrant the amount of pain that I felt because he wasn't my dad, like um, or like I'd compare the grief to it and that's what I was feeling I was feeling grief like and I'd compare that to people who have lost 
people through death. I'm like, he's not fucking dead. Get over yourself. Like, I always minimalized how I felt about situations. Like, and I done a, a meditation retreat over the Christmas, and it came back to me about my brother-in-law that how much pain it actually caused me and. I, I wanted to kind of sit down with him and ask him, like, why did you leave me? Like, why did you just leave me behind? Why wasn't I good enough? All these irrational, irrational thoughts that I was, I was having, like, and then at the same time, it was, like, again, always protecting the other person and saying, like, it's too late now. Like, he has, he's, he's moved on. He's a new family. It's been over 10 years ago, like, or just under 10 years ago that it's, like, who are you to come in and disrupt his life now? Like, so I was gonna write a letter. I was gonna write him a letter, and like, I wasn't even. I was, hadn't decided whether I was even gonna send it. I was like, I'll just write it and see what happens. And again, I still, I haven't done that. I just kept putting it off. Like, but uh, yeah, I think it did. It caused me a lot of heartache. Like, and I don't think I really dealt with it until now. Like, until I got a that bit older and. After I came out of hospital and that. Because I couldn't deal with anything. I was just drinking and doing drugs. Like, you don't... You, you have so many issues going on. And then when you're drinking and drugging, you're not you're not feeling any of it. Like, you have to feel these things and sit with them. And sit in that, that horrible space and ride it out and just let it go. Like, um, whereas when you're, doing drink, when you're drinking and you're doing drugs, you're just running from it. It's not actually going anywhere. You're just burying it deeper and deeper and deeper in your body. Like, your body holds on to all this emotion. So, yeah, I think I just buried all that. I locked boxes in my head and then a lot of stuff. It, after I came out of hospital, I started doing plant medicine as well. Um, so I've done the DMT a couple of times. And a lot of stuff came up there for me as well. Uh it was kind of unlocking boxes that I had closed. I think a lot of the stuff with the sexual trauma was unlocked when I done the DMT, and it was like, right, you're ready now. Here you go, deal with it. Say it out loud. Let it go. Stop holding on to that shame. Like, um, can I ask with the plant-based medicine? Um, I'd be terrified. Yeah, I would be terrified. And not that I've any skeletons around like mm. that. It's just that I would be terrified that that would sit with me. Mm. And it would sit with me when I left. So you did it in Ireland, yeah? Mm, yeah. yeah. So just to say that there is plant-based medicines and there's the page that I know, um, the medicine mum, Gillian, um, she was on a podcast and she spoke about it. Um, and f- but for me, I would be terrified in the sense that in a week's time or a month's time or six weeks' time, is that going to come back and hit me again? Or but just because I've processed it, yeah, doesn't mean that, like, say, my ma's processed it and then my ma still annoys me all the time. But, mm. like, it, it, it just... I know it works for people. Mm. I know it works for people. But for me, I said I don't have trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't know. I just don't know how... Like, I would be terrified of it constantly happening to me. Mm. Um, as in the trip or the yeah, trauma? the trip. Like, I'd 
the trip is fine like okay as i said like i was like what's the name of that uh, hash, hash like do you know what i mean <laughs> like so the trip would be okay the trip has happened but then if i processed it in my brain i don't understand how other people do you know deal with it mm. um do you get me no no, so you like would you not have nightmares over like it would you not be in your sleep and be going right? So everything that you unlocked in your brain through the plant based medicine, mm-hmm. and then it's done, it's gone, everything's fine, you're fixed. Mm-hmm. Are you fixed? Oh no, <laughs> like no, it doesn't. Like you don't just do the the M or the I or anything. Like now, I haven't done ayahuasca yet. I'm booked in in July to do a weekend of it. Um, you don't just do it once and that's it like oh you just you just get a flashback of everything bad that's ever happened and like you're like all right that's great I, uh, that happened let 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 go of that like now it takes a lot of integration after so for me stuff came up for me that i like i was i was gonna quote across it there when you were saying i don't have trauma i'm i am a firm firm believer that everybody has trauma yeah yeah everybody. and i i get i 100% get that but it just mightn't affect you mm. as it's a little subtler. Like you could be a little bit reactive when you have a fight with a partner because mm. your ma was reactive or no stuff mm. that isn't going to completely disrupt your life. Mm. And then you could have other people who their trauma completely disrupts their life. Like me, where I was just drinking all the time and in total self-destruct mode. So I had to make a change in myself with the plant medicine. I stuff came up for me. I sat with myself after. I walked through it. I'm like, right, that that makes sense. That part of the trip didn't make sense. Then it could be like six or seven weeks later, and I'd be like, that's what that meant. That's what that was, and that's why I do this. And then I got calling to do it again, and I done it again, and then more stuff came up for me. And I'm I'm someone who I fully believe in plant medicine, and I think it has the powers to really, really heal people. But I think it needs to be respected. Yes. So I know a lot of people who do it and do way too much of it. So they do plant medicine after plant medicine after ceremony after ceremony. But they don't do any integration around it. So they don't sit with themselves and they don't deal with what's that coming up on their trip. They just do it and think that, that the medicine sorts you out. It doesn't. It's like when, I, when, when they were setting me up with a plan coming out of hospital... My counsellor and my psychiatrist both said the same thing. In order for this to work, you need to help us. We need to help each other. So with your permission, can I contact your therapist? With your permission, can I contact a psychiatrist? We can all work as a team and do certain things. Ali, you need to sleep better. You need to stay off the drink. There was things that I had to do in order for all of it to work. And I think it's the same with plant medicine. It's like you you can't just do it, do it and do it and do it and do it and think that that's it. Like You have to do the integration. You have to do your meditation or journal or go back to therapy and talk about something that come up on, on, on your trip with your therapist. That's one thing I was. I was very open with both the psychiatrist and oh, the therapist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I told them both. What did they say? Professional, obviously, can't really say, but what? Both both completely different opinions. Uh, therapist was a little bit more open about it. Um, I think she's she does, like... Uh, energy therapy as well and mm. stuff like that so I think she she had more of an understanding around it whereas my psychiatrist was, re- was very kind of like a psychiatrist deals with people with like warped realities like I'm mm. very blessed I don't have like schizophrenia or anything like that I have depression and anxiety so 
she's dealing with people who like if they were to do yeah. plant medicine like they probably wouldn't fucking mm. come back from it yeah. like, um like that's like with plant medicine there's rules and regulations as well like you get mm. big big letters and you have to fill it out of like your your mental health history are you on any antipsychotic medication if so you have to come off them like mm. you can't do do plant medicine while on mm. Uh, psych- anti-psychotic medication or anything you're even when it comes to smoking the weight around they may like they encourage you you need to stop smoking for up to at least a month if not at least three days like mm. you need even down to dairy me detox the whole body like um so yeah my my psychiatrist was a little bit more like oh like i don't think it's a great idea but i was like well i'm down it like mm. i'm just telling you that i am so you know um I think with, as well with the DMT, it was like, it's not as intense. No, it it's very fucking intense, but it's not as long as mm-hmm. a ceremony. So if you do the Aya or San Pedro or anything like that, like you're there for two, three nights. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more of a ceremony with the DM. The trip is only like 15, 20 minutes. Now it feels much longer, but it is only 15, 20 minutes. Um, and... It, that is the psycho I, I think it's that's the psychedelic that's in ayahuasca mm. is the dmt so because yeah. there's still a side in clinics now in yeah. in in ireland and that's what barry was talking about the clinics mm. that because they want to help and i absolutely am sure it can help with addiction mm. with you know um eating disorders and all of that kind of thing mm. that's what it wants to help with and i do say and i and i say that because i don't want to come across any which way to people and people know me a very long time when i say i don't have traumas I'm very good at dealing with my traumas. Yes. I have had trauma in my life. Yeah, like, course. you know what I mean? And I have had huge traumas. I've had part of my life that I didn't know was reality or not. And I still, to this day, don't know whether that part of my life was reality or not. Yeah. However, it doesn't affect me. Yeah. It doesn't affect me. And when it did affect me, I, it manifested itself and I got through it. I yeah. got through it and it was done. And that's it. So I'm not saying I don't have traumas. I just have very lucky that... Yeah. I, I walked a walk. I did a journey in my teenage years for mm-hmm. a very long time that I, I did nearly destroy myself, but I didn't, mm. do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I came out of it. Um, as the, the hospital, to my own London hospital, they were like, well, you know, you're eating enough. You're eating enough to sustain yourself so you mm. can go home. So like that way, but I had to fix myself. And in fairness, I will say Paul fixed me a lot. Mm. He helped me a lot. So that was the same to like, yeah. I don't know why I'm coming in a little bit like, mm, but I, I, I deal with it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's mad. Like, but I just want to take it back then because something you said there, like you ha- had and you were very lucky that you had all the supports with your parents, with your brother. You had all the supports. Mm. You were doing counselling. You had everything in your hands. Mm. And it was. And this is what something we have to make very clear to parents and so on. And I know it's tra- traumatic and I know, but y- only you. Mm could fix yourself oh absolutely um yeah i think to be honest with you i was a little it was i was so fucked up when i was a kid that i was almost addicted to the attention like the negative even though i knew it was wrong and it was negative and it was like but like i was just crying out for attention i was crying out to be loved like i just wanted to be loved and i just didn't feel I was. Didn't feel I was worthy of it. I didn't feel I was worthy of love, and I still struggle with that. Like, I look at my partner some days, and I'm just like, how? Like, and he adores me. Like, but I still like, 
I've often said it to him out blank. I'm like, how? Like, why do you love me? Like, and he's just like, Ali, relax. Like, you know why I love you? Like, but I think it's very human feeling. But for me, it was just really, really intense. I just couldn't understand why anyone would want to be around me, why anyone would want to be my friend, why anyone would want to be a partner. Even sometimes I'd struggle, I'd look at my man and dad and be like, I'm just a big disappointment. Like, they couldn't possibly, they just, they love me because they have to love me. Like, um, Were they loving to each other? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, it. again, it's like, I I do I laugh because I shouldn't laugh, but I laugh because I actually on paper, in the four walls that I lived in, I have a lovely brother. I have a mother and father who idolise each other. Like they're like one of those couples that like they're thirty odd years together, and you look at them and they're just like yeah, they're not just co co coexisting with each other. Mm. They don't just live together. They love each other like mm. still, and very vocally. And with touch, and they're very affectionate, and they've always like they've had arguments, but like it was never a thing of like, oh my god, like my man and I are gonna get separated. Never, like, um. But it's like I had to look outside of those models and realize that there was a lot of other people in my life. So there would have been my sister's relationship that ended really badly. Like another one of my sister's relationships ended badly. One of my brother's relationships ended. Uh, I think I always remember a neighbour of mine as well. I don't know why. Uh, a neighbour of mine was with a girl, and they were. I think they were either engaged or got married, and they separated, and it broke my heart. And I, I remember saying to me, "Man, like I don't believe in love. Like I don't get it. Like how can people be together for so long and just break up? Like it doesn't make sense." Um. So yeah, it was always one of them. It was like desperately wanted to be loved, but push it as far away from me as possible. Uh, I was terrified of it. I still am, but it's 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 a hell of a lot better than any other way of living. Like, uh, I read. Uh, I was read. I started reading a book by Brené Brown. She's a, a psych, uh, doctor, psychology. She has a book called. Um, the joy of vulnerability, the power of vulnerability. Um, she has a show on Netflix as well. It's very good. If you just type in Brenna Brown, it'll come up. It's all. It's just. A, it's like a TED talk about vulnerability. But it was amazing. And I was just. This was after I got out of hospital and all. I was watching it and it was just like, that's the way I want to live. Like I've always been very good that way in the sense I could be vulnerable. Like, um, I'm highly sensitive. Always kind of protecting everybody else. Like so, it was like doing other people's thinking for them and like I was kind of like a mammy like I put my own stuff aside like I remember when there was for example my dad was when a few years later after the five kind of separated from us my dad would be like trying to get back in obviously it's his children like we trying to get back in to seeing them, so we'd attend like different parties or whatever. And I'd always go with me dad to the parties, even though I didn't want the relationship with him, and I still don't want the relationship. Well, no, I'm on a never say never buzz, so I'd never rule it out. But I was just kind of disinterested. I 
I didn't want to go to these parties anyways. I didn't want to see these people. But I'd put myself in those positions and go with my dad because I didn't want him going on his own. I wanted to support him. And I was down that since of a teenager. Like, um, I don't know where that stemmed in me. You felt you had to protect Protect everybody, even fully grown adults. Like, And they never put that pressure on me. Like, My dad never needed... My dad's a fully grown man. He's more than capable like, of going to these things by himself and dealing with shit himself and... Like, with, without the work that they've done on themselves, I wouldn't be half the person I am today, like, mm. like that. They, they done so much work on themselves that they passed that on to me and that information and the, the different outlets and the different resources on to me, like. Do you think, and this is like totally random and totally, like, do you think it's in the genes? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm spiritual, so. Okay. That kind of comes with, that's a given. Um. It's generational courses, like, I don't know whether it's physical genetics or whether it's spiritual, whether it's, but I think, it, like, I put a quote up the other day about, do, I do, I'm doing all this healing so that one day I can be a grandmother to wise women who never had to live in the, in, in the trauma, like, um, I, t- I thank my ma for the work that she's done because it was a stepping stone to me breaking the chain like and then there's times with her mother it is it's passed down like aggression anger uh, the commenting commenting on like you see nannies commenting on people's weight and your ma will do it subtly um, it won't be as like as aggressive as her mother before or, or but yeah, there's also the, the example of two twin boys reared by an abusive mm-hmm. alcoholic father. One never drinks a day in his life, one ends up an abusive alcoholic father. So, mm. yeah, it's. I think there is generational courses, definitely. Um, How do you protect yourself today, Ali? Love. With everything, not just with my partner. Like... Um, patience like I, tr- I try every time I get angry or I get upset or I try and just sit in it and talk like the past year has been great and it has really opened my eyes to how I want to live and I want to live and but I've still I've still a long road to go like I still had very bad I've had worse panic attacks in the last year than I've ever had in my life like um it's not gone like men, my mental health has improved, but it's not gone anywhere. Like, uh, there was also a time there a couple of months ago where I got very bad again, just in the sense of panic attacks, like not any kind of ideation or. Anything. I was having very bad panic attacks, and I said, "Fuck this! I need to go to me. Uh, need to go back to my GP." Like, so I was chatting to her about it, and she was she wanted me to get tested for BPD. Okay. So I, had, I was trying to get back in with my psychiatrist because obviously your doctor can't diagnose you with stuff like this. It has to be done through a psychiatrist. So she put me in a referral from my psychiatrist and uh, I totally avoided it. Did you? Yeah. And I'm not recommending this to anybody mm-hmm. by the way. This is completely my journey and this is just what worked for me. If someone needs to get a diagnosis, by all means, get it. But like I said to you earlier about the label of being a slut, and I lived up to it. I think there's a fear there now with labels mm. where it's like, if I get diagnosed with, B, with BPD is 
uh, borderline personality disorder. So if I get diagnosed with that, am I just going to become that then? Am I going to embody that? Um, am I going to start using it as an excuse? Like, uh, I can't say, I, I said that, I'm sorry, because I'm an Aquarius. Like, no, you're just a cunt. It's the same with, with borderline personality disorder. I don't ever want to... To be like to become this narcissist that just does all these shitty things and then like relies on my, on my label like you can't give out to me I'm ill, um, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair on anybody. And with BPD, it's it's not the same as depression or anxiety or any of these chemical illnesses. The BPD is actually it's a trauma uh, stemmed illness. Okay, so. From this, the little I've looked into it, it is actually based off of like trauma in early childhood and how it can uh, affect you and progress into this illness. Um, so yeah, I was just like, no, I'm not getting. I, I had a talk with a couple of people about it, and I was like, I'm not getting tested. I'd rather just live in kind of ignorance. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, it works for me. Like it's. Mm. In the last couple of months, particularly, I'm doing really well. Like, I'm back in college. I think it's finding something to do. Like, stop mm. sitting around waiting for life to happen. Go mm. go out and do it. Like, I kept putting college off because, like, I don't know what I want to do. Mm. It's like, you never know. You're never going to know what you want to do. Like, I'm in a course now. I'm doing journalism. And about two months in, I was like, I don't even want to be a journalist. But, like this, I like chatting to people. And I want to be a writer. And mm. I know that. And I think the journalism is going to do really well in... Teach me how to get me grammar back. Stepping stone. My yeah. grammar is terrible. Oh my I, god. My gra- grammar is absolutely awful. Yeah. Like giving me paragraphs and all. I'm like, oh, I can't play. I'm supposed to be a writer. But um, I'm learning all that. And then I'm learning networking from college. Like I've mm. done, I've had to do a couple of interviews with people. Like and I've done a, a couple of interviews that I'm really, really proud of. And I'm, I've surprised myself in the sense of like the things I'm able to push myself to go after. Because I'm not just settling for anyone. I'm getting like the big guns. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm nearly a teacher's pet at this stage. But uh, then I, I look for, was looking for hobbies and things to do, like join the gym. That was a disaster. Anxi- that spiked, uh, spiked me anxiety. <laughs> that was a no. Just trying different things. And uh, I got very into spirituality. Um, so I was trying different things with that, like the plant medicine. I done a Vipassana retreat, uh, which is 10 days silent meditation. I uh, ran out of there after six days. Did you? <sighs> My partner and his business partner finished it, but I was just like... But the two of them came home, they were like, Ali, you've done six days. Like, well we want, done. We wanted to leave as well. Um, but I think I left at the right time because it was like that. A lot of things started opening up for me and I was like, I'm only small. I know there's a still a lot of boxes there mm. and I'm trying to just go through them one at a time and I opened about three or four boxes and I was like, right, if I open any more, I'm not getting out of here. Absolutely. I can't carry anything else. So I just took what I, what I got from that and I've been working through that over the last few weeks and I'm actually doing DMT again on Friday. So uh, I haven't done it since the summer. I take my time through it as with, with plant medicine as well. I kind of wait for a call and you'll hear your own in, in our voice. I try and, I'm trying to regain that... Um, that relationship with my own instinct and trusting myself and trusting me gut. Like, you'll never trust anybody in the world if you don't trust yourself. And it's like you won't love anybody else. Well, I actually don't believe that. I don't believe that you can't love someone without loving yourself because I've always loved too much. But I uh, think you're right there. I don't think, 
Nej, I don't think can... you can allow someone to love you. Yeah. If you don't love yourself. Mm. Um, I but think you definitely have love. Oh, absolutely. To give. It's fucking too much of it to give away. Um, I think your relationships get better when you do love yourself, though. Mm. Um, it's less kind of codependency and it's more genuine. And you're not trying if you're actually doing people a disservice when you're trying to fix them like like I was a fixer as well I was trying to fix everyone else and I was just like ignoring myself I seen a, a quote the other day and it was like um he seems like a really nice guy he seems like oh no what was it he seems like a really nice guy I can fix him or something like that and then under it was like says the girl who can't fix herself mm. and that was me like um now I'm with someone who does all his own work like He's spent the last few years the same, working on himself, healing himself, and he's been a huge benefit. Like, the way I look at him is, like, he showed me doors, but I opened them. That sort of way, like... It's very good. Um, so he's pointed them out, pointed me in the right direction, but left me to do it myself, like... So, yeah, just... To be honest, I'm winging it. To be, like... I'm not existing anymore though. I am living. I know that much. Um, back into nature. Slow down. Don't take life so seriously. And then just call people out. Call people out on their shit. Everyone is everyone is impermanent, like like all the sad reality is like I'm gonna lose my man dad someday. I'm gonna lose my siblings. Could lose there before I could go. He could go before me. I hope not now, but or any of that, like lose friends. All you really have is you, and I know everyone says that, like, but that it's embodying that and actually realizing that, like, all you have is yourself, and you've been all right up until now. Like you've got through everything up until now, like, um, just trusting the process, trusting the universe. Trying to just get to know yourself a bit better. Like, I hadn't a clue what I wanted. I I had this thing that I, I lived on fair around a mortgage and, all, and security. I was like, I need to get a mortgage. And, like, I, I'm not going to get a good enough job. Like, just loads of different irrational thoughts I was getting. When I couldn't give a bollocks about mortgage. I don't actually want one. Like, I don't... I'd rather just free flow and travel and, like... Yeah, I don't, I don't actually want to buy a house. Whereas, like, it was other family members who would have a... And not in a bad way, but they'd have a... Uh, that would be one of their core mm. values, that they'd want security, like, and they want a home. They want a base camp. They want something to leave their kids. Whereas I don't, like... But I wasn't living in an alignment with, with what I wanted. Like, my, my core value now would be freedom. So I don't want to feel like I'm boxed into a cage or anything. Like, um, I need to be able to express and live and talk and like I'm at that stage now where I actually don't care what I say like once it's the truth so I just want to talk about everything openly so that I think I was saying to before that shame shame is one of the most excruciating emotions that you can feel and I think by burying things and filtering yourself and not talking about things openly it just adds to its power so it's like I don't want to pretend that I didn't sleep around when I was younger because I did and that's not changing, that's not going anywhere and the more I feel that I can't talk about that 
and hold my head up high and say that my life is completely different now, then that still has power over me. And those people that were, were calling me names when I was when I was younger and probably still call me names now, they don't have power over me because I know who I am. I know what I've done, but I know who I am now. Like, And, yeah, I think you just you have to be open and honest and vulnerable and be willing to sit in your shit. Like, because you're gonna, it's someone else's story next week. Like that podcast. Someone else will be on next week. Someone was on the week before. Uh, the only time I want to be remembered is if someone resonates with the story and feels better. Because they don't think, right, I'm the only person that done this or I'm the only person that felt that way. Or Once one person gets anything from it, then that's all I care about. Everyone else just forgets about it. Like. Gotcha. And on that note, we leave it there. Ali, thanks so much. No problem. Twenty four years old. I, I, I say it every time. People just amaze me. My guests just absolutely amaze me. But um, I wish you all the best in the future, and I've no doubt you'll do thanks whatever you want to do. Thanks very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.